Wilkerman. And bienvenue. I'm Shelby. And I'm Finley. And this is Bravo to Broadway, your go-to podcast for all things Bravo. And all things Broadway. All right, Shelby, you ready to get into it for this week? Yeah, so as we mentioned last week, we're going to start everything off with a little rant of the week. Uh, mine's not more really a rant as much as it's a outpouring of words about the current situation going on in Oregon. So for those of you who don't know, which should is not many of you because I think all of our listeners are friends and family at this point, but I live in Oregon. <laughs> um, Shelby's on fire, y'all. <laughs> pretty much. The entire West Coast is going up in flames right now. Um, but I know in the news, it's kind of been, it started off with, like, just California was getting all the news, which, valid, because, like, they're dealing with the second, third, fourth, and fifth largest fires in the history of the state, and all at the same time. So they have a lot going on. Um, but they also, in the beginning, weren't including the fires going on in Oregon and Washington. So just to give everyone a picture of what's going on here, first of all, we need some context. So, just because, okay, so I'm from Georgia. I moved here last year. I've never gone through a fire season. I've never, I mean, everyone in Oregon has never dealt with anything like this, but I've never even dealt with, like, a normal fire season. So I had to do some learning for myself to figure out some of the vocabulary that is being flung around, and now I'm going to teach you so that I can explain the vocabulary. First of all, you need to know what a mega fire is. A mega fire is a fire that covers 100,000 acres or more. Oregon right now has, by my count, five mega fires. But I think three of them combined into one mega fire. So that's a little terrifying. Um, from 1900 to 1999, Oregon only saw six mega fires. From 2000 to 2019, Oregon saw 11 megafires, but never more than two in the same year. Yeah, from what I read, um, because I've been following the situation, worried that like Shelby's going to have to be doing this podcast from an evacuation center. Um, from what I read, Oregon is currently experiencing more fires at once than they have experienced in the last 12 fire seasons combined. And that's just Oregon. Yeah, you're right about that. Right now, there are currently 37 large, like, large enough to be registered active fires. Um, and according to the map found at wildfire.oregon.gov, which is kind of like the um, government's mapping site for people to find their evacuation orders, um, 805,000, 100,000 acres have been burned. So we're almost up to a million, you know? We're almost rounding it out. Um, yeah, and I also read that last year, um, the fires, I mean, we had a really bad fire season in California last year, and from what I read, they only had five deaths the entire year, and right now we're already at seven for just these few fires. In Oregon, we know of Okay, I was saying in Oregon we know of three fires, or three deaths, but that number is likely a lot higher. Uh, the governor came out and said that this is likely the largest loss of life and property the state has ever seen. Um, so a lot of this we just, we don't know. These fires, so Tuesday, um, 
Oregon received her almost hurricanic level winds, right? So for the, my southeast people who deal with hurricanes, a hurricane is classified when it has 75 miles per hour winds or higher, or like 74, but it's right around there. Oregon experienced winds up to 60 miles per hour. So add into that a really dry winter this past year, a really dry summer. We haven't really had rain in the last two months. And humidity down in the teens mixed with winds, anything that sparked went up in flames. And these created, um, essentially, it was a firestorm. Um, so we just, for a lot of these communities, it's still not safe to go back. So we don't know what the houses look like. And we don't know who got trapped and never made it out. Well, from what I saw, the youngest victim they know of so far was a one-year-old. Yeah. And that's just horrifying. Yeah. And there was a kid and his grandmother who didn't make it out that we know of. Um, So we just, there's also, there's just not enough resources. So everybody is 100% focused on saving lives. There's no resources to do anything else. In Oregon, we are not fighting the fires. They're not working to contain these massive fires because every boot that is on the ground is working to get people evacuated to safe places. We just don't have the manpower. People are losing everything. And you're only, you know, some people are going, you know, they're like, I'm going to go look at the fire. And they look out and the flames are coming down the mountain and they have two minutes to grab their car keys and drive. They're they're getting out with what's on the back of their uh, back. Yeah, I was on the phone with Shelby a couple nights ago, and we packed your go bag and set it by the door, and I was even like, just put it in your truck so it's already there and you don't have to load it. Just load your car up and get ready. But luckily, you haven't had to worry about that just yet. No. Something to clarify, yeah, for our listeners. I have not yet been under any kind of evacuation order. There is not a fire that is um, super close to me. There are two large fires um, within about 30 to 45 minutes and the super massive mega fire that I was just talking about it's so currently they, I don't know the combined name yet but the Santium fire and the Riverside fire they have confirmed um, or will shortly be confirming that they have combined um, so that fire is probably 45 minutes away from me um, and there's no winds today so we don't know which direction it's moving so the lack of winds are both a blessing and a curse, right? We're not racing through the, the state, but we also don't know which way it's going to move. The scary thing for me is just the fact that, like, I've been in Georgia, and thank God I follow all the Real Housewives and their daughters on Instagram, because other than that and, you know, Shelby, I have not seen, I've seen maybe two articles about it. I know the New York Times had um, a front page picture today of... The fact that you can't see anything, like it was just the red smoky blur. Um, But what's scary for me is the president hasn't talked about it. Joe Biden hasn't talked about it. No news that I can see out here is covering it. And these fires are all the way in Colorado. It's not just the West Coast. That's where it's really bad. But they're in Utah. They're in Nevada. They're, you know, crawling through Arizona They're in Colorado. Everywhere that's not snowing in Colorado is under fire warning. So it's literally half the country, and I don't care about your political stance or what you believe, but, like, we have to save these people and our country. And it's crazy that they aren't doing it. Well, so I have a couple things 
a couple comments I want to make about this one. So, first of all, now that I've given you the facts, here are the comments. First of all, yeah, this, there's definitely not been enough coverage on this. Trump has been largely silent, not even a thoughts and prayers are with you tweet, right? Instead, he's been obsessing over this stupid interview soundbite. And it's not stupid, but compared to people losing their lives, I, I haven't even looked at it yet. Um, it is absolutely important, but, you know, I would think that we would be sparing a thought for people losing their lives and their jobs and their homes. Um, but also the people who are losing their homes, these are not necessarily Democratic uh, voters. These are largely rural areas, and we've seen that these largely rural areas tend to be more conservative. So these are Trump's voter base who are losing their homes and their lives. Now, I don't really care about political affiliation when massive natural disasters are taking effect, right? And luckily, Oregonians don't either. People have been helping each other out because that's what you do. But it, it's going up in flames. The other thing is that when news coverage does cover these fires... To me, it's, it's really important that we also just got audio released of the fact that Trump knew in February that COVID was transmitted airborne and was killing people at five times the rate of the flu. It's way bigger than that now, um, where it's at least six times as many people as die of the flu annually. But it's really scary that he just doesn't care that Americans are dying. And for me, that's not a political issue. That's a human being, like, to human being issue. Um Nobody in the most developed and the richest and the, you know, best country on earth, which, <laughs> um, that shouldn't be happening here of all places. If we want to claim that title, we have to own it and act like it. And we aren't. And it's really scary because you would think that, you know, your neighbors at least cared if you live or die, but we've been pushed to such a breaking point that, they don't. And it's really, really scary, um, you know, what's going to happen with the future of COVID and with all these fires. Because I also want to point out, we are not at peak fire season. This is still the beginning of fire season. And it's already this bad. Um, but yeah, just something to think about. I have two more quick things. I know this is stretching on. Actually, one more. First of all, first of all, um, global climate change. I know I'm running out of time, so I'll make this quick. Uh, these fires are because of global climate change. Large corporations need to change their practices, and I need to change them yesterday. We need clean fuel energy. An individual changing their recycling is not going to be what changes our environment. To change course, large corporations and large governments need to step up. Second of all, I want to address some of the misinformation spreading about these fires. Um, there's been a large number of people claiming that Antifa terrorists are starting these fires, and that is untrue and impossible because Antifa terrorists don't exist. Antifa is anti-fascism. I hope you're anti-fascism too. Also, don't you think that if law enforcement actually found people with proof that Antifa terrorists are lighting fires, that they would sit on that? No, the amount of Proud Boys in those organizations, they would be louding that from the top of their roof, right? That would not be something that they're silent about, they would tell you. So don't clog 911 lines claiming that Antifa terrorists are starting fires. Alright, now I'm now I'm okay to move on. 
<laughs> yeah, so we ran a little bit long, but it's okay. Um, it's a big week here. It really is. You know, we'll talk as long as we want to about the loss of life in America because it is a startling problem that no one cares about. But anyway, to get into the petty drama that has been our saving grace distracting us from all the perils of the world. This week we're talking about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion again because it's so good. All right, where do we start? (laughs) Because so much happened this time. This reunion was largely about all the women's issues with Kyle and the fact that this season, in my opinion, LVP left and Kyle tried to step in and it did not work. They were not having it. Nobody was going down the Kyle train with her, but she was so focused on herself that, you know, she ended up looking terrible by the end of the season. And she's the only original housewife that was in season one that is still there. She has been there for every single season. And for the most part, she's gotten a pretty good rap. So this season was like startlingly bad for her. Um, But I think it just exposed kind of why we always saw that tension between Kyle and LVP. And then we also talked about, like, Dorit and everything. We talked about Rena's parenting and her child's eating disorder and anxiety disorder. We talked about Teddy's pregnancy. And then we talked about all the Brandy stuff. So let's jump into it. All right, Shelby, what did you think of the Kyle and Teddy drama? Do you think their friendship is weirdly close? (laughs) No, I honestly, I don't think their friendship is weirdly close. I slept in the same bed as some girlfriends but I also don't know what else is going on there you know that's the only thing I heard was Kyle thinks it's weird she slept in the bed with Teddy okay so or Kyle thinks it's weird but others think it weird literally me and Shelby shared a room in Florence Italy that had two twin beds pushed together and yes we technically were in our own beds but when you're in a European situation like that There is no room, no matter how rich you are. No. (laughs) The rooms are tiny, even when they're the penthouses. What about the Kyle and Dorit stuff? I thought it was really ironic that Dorit... Last week, we saw Dorit getting frustrated with Satin not accepting the apology. And then when Kyle was trying to apologize to Dorit, Dorit refused to accept it. That is an interesting point. Um, Do you think Dorit was actually hurting her business? No, I don't. I thought that was wildly um, exaggerated. Like, I don't know. Y'all couldn't see the eye roll that just happened, but it was big. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I don't think that Dorit going on there and saying that, oh my goodness, she hasn't even seen some of these clothes was really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. I don't know how well her business has or has not done, but so what? I thought what was really funny about that was that we saw Brandy on the after show say, or on Watch What Happens Live, say, um, if Kyle was that upset about being called out for not being prepared for her fashion show, she should have just been prepared for her fashion show. Because it was blatantly obvious she wasn't. Oh, I didn't realize that was for a fashion show. She was not prepared. That was for a fashion show? I thought that was she was just showing her business to... New York Fashion Week. And she hadn't seen some of the garments? Correct. Oh, that's not good. I think Dorit's criticisms were fully valid. Fully valid. You should have seen it by that point. Well, and then Kyle being like, it really hurt me that you did that. But then they have footage of Kyle trashing Dorit's businesses in retaliation. And Dorit actually lived in Italy as a successful fashion designer before moving to the U.S. and being a successful fashion designer. So, look, I don't. 
Kyle doesn't get to claim, oh, I was hurt and lashing out, in my opinion. You were wrong. That's it. I don't like Kyle. To be fair, I don't like any of them, but, you know, far be it for me to comment on their relationships. I will just say, I don't fight, like, with anyone like that and still call them a friend. All of these ladies keep saying, these are my best friends, I love this group of ladies. I don't think that's true. I think they hate each other. Oh, I fully think they hate each other. I think all of them. There's um, been a couple times where you can tell they're genuine friends. Like, I think you can tell Kyle and Teddy are genuine friends. And on a couple of the other franchises, you can really tell um, who's really friends and who's not. But yeah, for the most part, they're just shoved in and on camera. And they're friends in the way that, like, survivors of tragedies are friends. (laughs) They've been through it all together, so they're going to stay together. And they're being paid to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But what did you think about um, the whole segment on Rinna's parenting style, um, particularly for kids with anxiety? Because if y'all don't know, Shelby and I both got it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think everybody in my life right now knows that I'm in kind of a major flare-up of my anxiety, which, I mean, it's entirely valid, but it is a major flare-up. I thought Rinna was in... Well, I mean, I don't know her that well. I've only seen her on the reunion, but I think she's probably an excellent mom from what I've seen. Oh, she's, I want to be like her when I'm a mom. I think she's the best parent out of all of them. Not that any of them are bad. I just think she lets her kids be who they are and supports them. Whereas some of the other parents are more like, no, you need to be like this. I think she's actually quite tolerable compared to the others. Oh, I love Rena. She's one of my favorites. Um, It's because she's the most honest, I think. But do you think that Garcelle was making a low blow saying that her child's eating disorder was caused by her dancing on Instagram? No, and here's why. She absolutely should be celebrating her body, and she should absolutely be demonstrating that for her daughter, because she should also be demonstrating loving everybody else's bodies, and showing that you do not have to have some kind of certain perfect body mold to show your body and be proud of your body. Not that Rinna has anything to be ashamed of. She has a, I'm not going to comment further on that, but... You know, hiding your bodies, unless it's perfect, is what causes body issues in the first place. And I loved the clip of Amelia saying, I would tell her with all due respect, F off. And then Garcelle was like, okay, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I loved it. No, I think the only note I have on Garcelle is, uh, no one mentioned you. <laughs> Very true. How would you have felt if your mom had written a book um detailing how to give the perfect BJ and that that was your first explanation of sex education? I mean, I don't know. I don't know when her kids read the book cuz it varies, you know. If her kids were older and that was their first thing, they were teens. They were definitely in their teens. She should have given them a sex talk. I think she had given them a sex talk, but the book outright laid out how to suck a hmm. And they were like, it tells you very precisely. And they called her out on camera. <laughs> they they admitted that they had read that book on camera to her. And her face was just pure mortification. But I think it's amazing, honestly. I mean, yeah, it's pretty funny. Do you think that she is the best at owning it in that respect? I think... I mean, as far as I could see, yeah. She's pretty awesome from what I could see. She seems pretty, like, the most of them. She seems the most down to earth to me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that she... Honestly, I talk about Sophia the um, the First a lot as a cartoon because I think it details, like, 
kind of how you should be as a human, how you should be willing to own up to your mistakes and learn from them and move forward and be a better person. But I think that Rinna is also a really good example of that because she never refuses to apologize. She never... You know, she calls it like she sees it, and if she gets it wrong, she says, okay, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. But also, if people criticize her for certain things, she doesn't necessarily just bow bow down and, like, roll over. She will say, like, well, this was my reasoning, and I think I'm right. Or she'll say, this was my reasoning, and I was wrong. And I think that that's something that we should do a lot more often as people. Um, it's really hard to do. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Too many people are just, like, too unwilling to admit when they've done wrong. Absolutely. It's a self like a self-esteem thing, and they, it's like a pride thing. They don't want to admit that they've done something wrong when the best thing to do for your relationships at that moment is to be like, yeah, I screwed up, and I'm really sorry I did. I'll work harder to make that not happen in the future. Yeah. So, do you want a stuffed bunny after watching it? I didn't really understand the stuffed bunny thing. Oh, here we go. Okay, Shelby. So, several reunions ago, Kim Richards is Kyle's sister. And she was on the show at the beginning. The first season's, like, big blow-up was Kyle screaming at her, you're a liar, sick, and an alcoholic, and you need to get help. It got progressively worse. We watched Kim deteriorate, and eventually she ended up not being on the show. But her and Rinna actually came to a huge blows in Amsterdam um, one season where Rinna, like, broke a wine glass and threw it at her and tried to choke her. Oh my gosh. It was very bad. Because Rinna's husband is sober and has been for a long time because he lost um, his brother and I believe his father, if not two brothers, to alcoholism. So he just made a choice to be sober. And Kim came after that and was like, let's talk about your husband. And Rinna was like, I'm going to kill you. Don't ever mention my husband. (laughs) I would too, man. That's awful. Yeah, and then whenever they, like, tried to make up, um, Kim was becoming a grandmother for the first time, and so Rena, under the advice of her husband, bought a stuffed bunny to give to Kim for the grandchild, and she kept it, she took it, she said thank you, they hugged, they made up, um, and then at the reunion... (laughs) She gave the bunny back and said, I couldn't give this to my grandchild because of the negative energy that you put on it. And just a single tear ran down Rinna's cheek in like perfect soap opera fashion. And then she actually like really started crying. But the first single tear was just beautiful. And it's just been like a running joke. So the bunny ended up in the clubhouse, which is um, what Andy was showing. Like it's there in the Hamptons with him. And then... Uh, she gave a bunny to somebody else when they had a baby. But, like, she gives everyone bunnies now because it became, like, an iconic moment. The bunny drama. So I ask again, do you want a bunny? <laughs> okay, well then, yes. Yes, I would I would quite like a bunny. <laughs> well, what did you think about um, the stuff of them ignoring Teddy's pregnancy, speaking of babies? All right, let's talk about babies. So the next note I have on my thing is about the gender reveal party. Because why? Why have gender reveal parties? I couldn't... For the sake of having a party, honestly. Who cares what gender it is? Just call it a baby party. I'm having a baby. It can be different from your baby shower. We can have the baby shower and then the baby party. Yay, I'm pregnant. Let's celebrate the joy of a new life and the next milestone in forming the human. But gender reveal parties reinforce all these harmful concepts of gender. And also cause fires. 
The only thing I can think of for why they um, would have a gender reveal party is so that people aren't, like, getting you specifically boy things if you're having a girl baby. Which, like, I don't mean that in terms of toys or anything like that because, like, your child should be able to play with whatever. But I mean, like, if you have decor for your room already picked out and people are, like, buying you. Like, if your thing is going to be that it's all flowers because the baby I nannied, like, her room was entirely cherry blossoms. But if you have, like, a theme going, that's the only thing, like, I could think of why somebody would need to know the gender of your child. Because, like, baby clothes all fit the same. So, that would, that would really be it. Well, even then, it's, I mean, it's kind of like a wedding, though, right? Because it doesn't even need to be gender. Just be like, these are my colors, you know? These are my nursery colors. You can just put that on the invitation. That doesn't need to be part of gender. I have a lot of feelings about this. And there's there's some specific things. Um, like, boys have to have uh, specific things for, um, like, after the circumcision and stuff. Like, things that... But those would be traditional baby shower gifts, not gender reveal gifts. So, there are some differences in, like, how you would care for a girl baby versus a boy baby. But, yeah, it's not enough to justify, like, the pyrotechnics that go into these gender reveal parties. The pyrotechnics in the heights, in the heights of fire season in California. How dumb do you have to be? He was real excited about having a boy, okay? He had to set the whole state on fire. The whole coast. Oh my gosh. Gender. But what did you think specifically, like, if you were pregnant, um, how would you feel if you were in Teddy's shoes and, you know, how she said, I pretty much figured out really quickly that we were just going to proceed as though I wasn't pregnant, like, sitting on the floor at parties and, you know, wine tastings at every trip and sushi for dinner at all the dinners where she can't have any of it. And there not being any alternatives for her. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a, um kind of rude to like at least not think about it you know well and their excuses were that they hadn't been pregnant in however many years and i was like but you've still been pregnant you've still been pregnant and you still know that your quote-unquote friend is pregnant i don't know maybe it's because they don't like teddy honestly i wouldn't like i don't like teddy um i think if i met her she would be my least favorite we had that conversation (laughs) last week Okay, let's get into the Brandy and Denise stuff because Teddy's boring. We don't need to talk about her anymore. (laughs) Do you think with everything that you've seen so far and everything I've told you last week that Denise is lying or that Brandy's lying? I have been going back and forth on this all day. I think it's more likely that Denise is lying, but I also don't know that either one of well i mean denise is definitely not telling the whole truth but i don't know how much of the truth brandy is telling you know i think brandy's told the whole truth <laughs> i don't think i want any more brandy's truth quite frankly <laughs> i don't need to picture y'all in the bedroom together <laughs> do you think that um she was pretending like whenever she says we aren't friends and you know her stories change like 10 times i mean that's why i think it's more likely that she's lying um, I think they probably were friends. I think they probably did sleep together. And I think she's probably not a friend anymore. Yep. <laughs> what did you think of the all the text conversations where they were all saying you had like this crazy long text chain with her calling each other baby and love and, you know, hi bestie and stuff like that. Like, Denise said she never went to dinner with Brandy and in the first, like, 
two or three episodes of the season, she was at dinner with Brandy going, I'm so glad we met. You're such a good friend. And then at BravoCon, she called her a good friend, too. Well, part of me wonders, because you had mentioned something about Aaron not being okay with Denise doing this. And I wonder if part of this is Denise trying to lie her way into saving her marriage. Yeah. Or is she protecting herself from Aaron? So I don't know how much of this is Denise just lying to lie. And how much of it is realizing how massively she screwed up. And, sorry, I hear a siren and that's never a good thing. (laughs) I don't know how much of it is Denise lying to lie and how much of it is trying to save her marriage. Yeah. Well, what did you think of her threatening Rinna and Kyle saying, if you're going, if Brandy's going to expose my text, I'm going to expose my text with y'all. I mean, if they don't have anything to hide, they shouldn't be worried. I mean, Rinna actually said, show the texts, show them, quit threatening me and just show them. I have nothing to hide. If you want to air my texts, quit threatening me and actually do it because there's nothing to show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what did you think of the cease and desist? Do you send a cease and desist if it's not true? Oh, it was so funny. Do you say, yeah, no, I, the cease and desist was really funny to me. Yeah, you don't send that if you're not hiding something. If you're not trying to cover something up. Yeah, for real. Do you think um, that, you know, Denise saying she's not part of the show? What did you think about that? In terms of Denise leaving? No, no. Denise said that about Brandy. Whenever the women were saying, why aren't we getting Brandy's side? She said she's not part of the show. I, I absolutely think that Denise had something with producers in order to keep Brandy off the reunion episode. Absolutely. I do too. I think she said she wouldn't come if they let Brandy come. Mm-hmm. Personally. Absolutely. What did you think of Lisa Renna saying that Denise runs from the truth? I mean, I don't know Denise that well, but it's, it's not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, running from the truth is not something you want to be accused of. Especially, like, with the Charlie Sheen stuff. Like, that's kind of Rena's point, is that she ran from the truth with all the Charlie stuff, and now she's doing it here. And that she got really good at manipulating the, you know, public relations aspect of everything when she was with Charlie and going through that really, really nasty divorce. Yes. What did you think of her saying that Brandy was harassing her? I mean, I would feel harassed, too, if someone was spilling all my dirty secrets all over the internet and in my life. Oh, I should clarify. Brandy had said the only reason that she shared it on camera was because Denise was sending her threatening messages all leading up to filming. Yeah. Um, And even, like, immediately before the parties and stuff, saying she had to keep her mouth shut and blah, 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 or she would ruin her. So, who's harassing who? (laughs) (laughs) No, I definitely, I didn't mean that I came down on Denise's side on that. I just, I I would, you know, I would be clinging to whatever defense I could get to, you know? Yeah. If someone was spreading the truth about me, she's going to cling to whatever she can to keep her image. Yeah. And whenever she said, um, well, she said she slept with people here, too, but I'm not going to tell you who. To me, that's just such a cop-out. It's a cop-out, and it's something that a little kid does. Like, that's not a mature thing to do. Like, little kids do that all the time. Like, I know a secret, but I'm not going to tell you. But you would hate it if you knew. Yeah. It's it's a power play, and it's not a well-executed one. Well, what did you think of Teddy 
calling her out in the moment for saying, you said that you said way worse stuff about me to her. And Denise being like, says who, Brandy? And they're like, no, we all just watched the footage of you saying it. Oh my gosh, that that interview, it almost seemed like Denise was like under the influence of something. Like she did not seem sober in that interview. She was drunk or high or something. Yeah, something for sure. Because the way she was like leaning back in the chair too for me. And the way she was the speaking, the way she was speaking was very different than the way that she's been speaking on the reunion episode. Yeah, I, I think she was under the influence of something. Do you agree with Rinna that the cover-up was worse than the crime? I mean, at this point, absolutely. Because what's, I mean, what's the crime? That they slept together? Big look, people cheat on each other all the time. Like, yeah, it sucks, and it's really sucky. It's a really horrible thing to do. And to me, it's absolutely should feel terrible. But yeah, it's no crime. It's, it's not worth this. Well, we also watched the Watch What Happens Live with Brandy after the show because, as Andy Cohen said, he was going to eat his words because she did have more to say. And, you know, her side of the argument was valid and her point of view was necessary. So what did you think of her saying, I might be an asshole, but I tell the truth? Um, I thought it was kind of funny. Because, yeah, all of this really does stem from her credibility versus Denise's credibility. Yeah, and the backstory for you is that she um, has actually called out, she was the only housewife that was willing to call out the fact that Kim was not sober after she had gone to rehab. Um, She was like, this behavior is not sober behavior, and she called it out, and she has said... You know, I don't regret calling it out because her and Kim are best friends now because she actually was a true advocate and got her help rather than just ignoring the problem. And she also um, at one point aired the fact that Lisa Vanderpump was trying to play puppet master with all the new girls that came on the show, the new housewives, and she would try and collect them and make them her little puppets and manipulate what they would say to the other women to make all the women look bad and herself look like a saint. And she paid dearly for that, but it was true. And she was able to prove it was true. And people didn't believe her at the time, but as the seasons went on, Vanderpump did it like four more times with four more women who all said the same thing. And so Brandy was kind of the first one that came on the show. And like Lisa Rinna is no BS, but Brandy was really the one that paved the way for that. Of the, I'm just going to say what's happening because it's crazy that we're all ignoring the fact that it's happening. Okay, interesting. So she, I mean, at that point, it does does seem like she has more credibility than Denise does. I'm torn because I think Brandy would have no reason to lie about it because Brandy's whole thing is she was cheated on by Eddie Cibrian, who is now married to Leanne Rimes. Like, he cheated on her with Leanne Rimes, and so her thing is, you made me a cheater, you made me feel guilty, and now you're threatening me, scaring me not to come on my show that I was on first for more seasons than you've been on. And it's just really weird. Yeah, the whole situation is bizarre. Um, Why would you do that to quote-unquote a friend, you know? It's just, yeah, the whole thing is bizarre. Well, the other thing is, she's been telling her story. Like, she hasn't stopped saying her version of events, even though this cease and desist letter went out. So... She knows there's a real threat if she does say something that's not provably true. That's a very good point. I didn't think about that. She can't be doing anything that could be considered libel or slander because Denise will sue her. Interesting. So, like, from that angle, it's also interesting to think about. Like, who's really telling the truth? At that point. 
Well, next week is sure to be insanely fascinating. I'm literally twiddling my thumbs like an evil villain. Like, I am so ready. Because the proverbial hmm is going to hit the proverbial fan. And it is going to be so amazing. Denise walks out of the reunion next week. She does. And I am so ready for that to happen. Oh, I'm excited. I bet it happens pretty early. Well, she also quit being a housewife. I, yeah, I saw that earlier today when I was watching the Watch What Happens. Uh, I saw the headline that she has quit the show. Shocker. I mean, yeah, I'm really so shocked. Seeing as she came out looking terrible. She really, really did. There was no way to save that image. And I I think Rinna pointed out at one point that, you know, last season Denise came on and she was very raunchy. She very much played up her Playboy image. And then it got back to her daughters because they are teenagers in school. And so this season, I genuinely think she only came back to rehab her image and to pretend like, oh, no, I'm a great mother. I don't let any of my kids see this stuff. And it's like, your kid's dad is Charlie Sheen. As much as you try and protect them from that, you can't. You really can't, unfortunately. Their friends are going to see it if they don't. Yeah, she came back to rehab her image and uh, it blew up spectacularly. Because you can't do that on a show like this. I think that's really true. Like, you can manipulate a lot of reality TV, but in a show like this, it's very hard. Because you have six people who all have the same amount of money and the same amount of influence as you who do not care about destroying you. Yeah, I think the only way to rehab your image on something like this would be to be authentic. And clearly she didn't take that angle. No. All right, well, we also watched Cabaret, so let's get into that. We did. So we watched the 1993 televised edition of Cabaret with um, Alan Cummings. Because he's perfect. Yeah, in every single way. Um, So what were your thoughts on it, Finley? Well, I'll tell you what I knew going in, because I actually wrote it down. Like, before I watched it, I was like, this is what I know. I know that in Schitt's Creek, (laughs) they do a version of Cabaret. And from what, and I love Schitt's Creek. So from what I know, there is a money, 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 money song. And a maybe this time um, song. And that Cliff has been with women, but never derived true pleasure from it. And that the MC is the main character. And also there's somebody named Sally Bowles. It's in pre-war Berlin. There's an abortion and... Sally is not an actress. She's down on her luck. And, you know, that's also where we got our intro with the Welcome and Bienvenue. That is what I knew going in. Yeah, the opening song for Cabaret is one of my favorite musical theater songs. So we did uh, borrow it to... uh... (laughs) Very loosely. We very loosely borrowed. Very loosely. Very loosely for our opener. Yeah, you're pretty much right on the money, so I guess... Um, Before we get into your thoughts after having seen it, um, I could explain to our listeners what's going on in the film. Yeah, yeah, give them some actual context for what happens, because clearly I did not know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so a young American writer goes to Berlin at a time when the Nazis are on the rise. Um, He meets um, Sally Bowles, who's a singer at the Kit Kat Club. They... I don't know that I would say fall in love, but they have a relationship. She ends up living with him. I don't know how much of that was his choice. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
she did kind of worm her way in, but she was also, she was very upfront about it. She's like, I'm staying with so-and-so this week, you know? So she's one, you know, she likes living her life, and she likes making her choices, and she gets to make those choices. But at some point, she gets pregnant. She doesn't necessarily know who the dad is, but Cliff is like, I want it. I, you know, I want this baby. I want us to be together. So he convinces her to stay, at least for a minute, um, and he starts trying to make some real money. So he is an errand boy for someone who you find out later is a Nazi um, officer. I didn't understand that part. What were they actually smuggling? Like, they never tell you what was being smuggled. I couldn't figure out if it was cash or valuables, because you know the Nazis stole a lot of art, or what exactly they were smuggling from Paris to Berlin. So I don't actually know. Um, (laughs) They... They never really say in the version that we watched, and it's been so long since I've seen the original movie, and I've never seen, I've never actually seen one of the original stage productions. So, I don't know what he's smuggling, but he's smuggling something that's for the Nazi cause. I think I was assuming money or, like, important documents of some kind, like spies. Maybe, yeah. Um, so Cliff finds out that he's smuggling these papers, and this is set in a backdrop of the woman who runs the place, like, Cliff and Sally's landlord, essentially, is getting married, and she's marrying a Jewish man. But that marriage wasn't even that consensual, because she got caught making whoopee with him (laughs) by the girl she was trying to kick out for making whoopee, and then... He was like, well, we're actually engaged, so it's okay that we were making whoopee. And she was like, okay, I guess we're engaged. So to me, it didn't really, like... But then they sing the whole song. He sings this whole song after where he, like, actually proposes to her. And, I mean, he does... I mean, it is, like, a convincing song. She's not at first like, yes, I'm in love, let's go. He does needle her into it. But she does end up saying, going along with it, saying yes. So at the backdrop of their engagement party that's being thrown at the Kit Kat Club, that's when Cliff finds out who this guy, um, the officer is. That's when he finds out that he is working for the Nazis. And Cliff, as our young American hero, cannot stand for fascism. (laughs) Because that is the American way to not stand for fascism. Looking at you, Trumpers. Let us not forget our history here. Honestly, though, if you compare Hitler's rise to what's happening in America right now, we should all be, we don't like to cuss, but we should all be fucking terrified. Because this is not, we literally have concentration camps. And they have Mexican immigrants in them. Well, South American immigrants, because they're not all Mexican as much as Trump would like to claim they are. And kids in cages is a problem. It's absolutely a problem. It really is. So it was also just really interesting to watch this one this week at the height of, you know, the election fraud that Trump is trying to pimp. And I don't mean that he's saying it's happening and the Dems are doing it. I mean, he's telling his supporters to go vote twice, which is a felony election fraud. Okay, so don't go vote twice, please. Don't try and test the system. You will end up in jail. Only vote once. And it's not like a a light sentence. You're going to jail for like five to ten years and losing the ability to vote for the rest of your life. Do not fall for this. Absolutely. Could not agree more. So on that note, what do you think what did you think of the song Tomorrow Belongs to Me? Yeah. Yeah? Really? 
You didn't have any other thoughts on it? Let's see. I have a long list of notes, but I didn't know the name of the songs. That's the song that they sing in the Kit Kat Club when the the sex worker, I forget her name, when she's trying to impress the German officer. And so she starts seeing the song of German nationalistic pride. And Cliff, Sally, and the landlady and her fiancé are all just kind of looking around at all these people going, oh my gosh, they're actually singing along with it. They're going along with this fascist ride. I'm not sure, but I definitely wrote at one point, the songs are all militaristic now, question mark. So maybe that was it. But I really, I didn't write down a lot about the songs because I didn't know their names, quite frankly. What I will say is that there's one line, and I don't know if this is around where that is, but there is one line in the thing I noticed that says, if you're not against all this, you're for it. And that rang the most true for me of any line in the entire movie. Because if you're not anti-fascist, guess what you are? Fascist. Plain and simple. Absolutely. If I'm not mistaken, Cliff says that to Sally. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to get involved in politics, and Cliff is trying to convince her to come back to America. And she's like, well, politics don't apply to us. Yeah, she says, what does politics have to do with us? Yeah, exactly, which is... And there's far too many people that live that way. Far too many. That is such a privileged position to take, it's insane. Absolutely. Like, politics have everything to do with you. Everything. They control the roads that you drive on. They control where your tax dollars are spent since you... They control how many tax dollars you have to give. They control the redlining of different housing districts. They control everything. They control whether you're able to vote or not. Because voter suppression in America is real and rampant. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just, what, two years ago in the midterm elections, Kemp purged thousands of voters the week before the election because their signatures didn't match their names? I mean, hello, mine isn't even legible. Yes, and let's not forget that uh, Mr. Kemp did not recuse himself from the election that he was, or from the, yeah, the election that he was running when he was Secretary of State of Georgia. He declared himself the winner of the election. And the amount of problems I have with that fact alone is insane. If a Democrat tried to do it, there would be a civil war. Absolutely. We have just accustomed ourselves to letting these Republicans get away with so much. I don't want to make this super political, but Cabaret is super political. It is very political. And we're living in the end times (laughs) of America. The sun is setting on the American empire. I mean, it certainly looks like the apocalypse out here. Yeah, Shelby has just been, for all y'all wondering why she sounds a little distracted, she's just been staring out her window at the fires. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's smoke moving into my area, and I'm judging how bad the smoke is based on how how many trees I can see, and I've been watching these pine trees off in the distance that I was able to see this morning, but they're completely covered in smoke now. I can't see them. That's fun. Just And that's just happened in the last hour. What I thought um, was really sad that they did at the end was they made cliff become abusive and that really bothered me that was sad um because i understand they were trying to show that like no character is perfect or whatever but he literally yells at her the only way you got this job any job is by sleeping with someone and then she yells at him and he hits her yes i was so upset when that happened it's like there's never an excuse to put your hands on a woman there's never an excuse to put your hands on anyone quite frankly 
Yeah, there's never an excuse to put your hands on your partner. You should doesn't matter what gender or sex you are. You should not be putting your hands in an angry way on your partner. Purely sexual. Only sexual touching allowed between partners. No <laughs> violent. Or like, or like comfort. You know, physical and emotional intimacy. Well, I think the most troubling part of that for me was then, I don't remember if it was a song or a monologue, but they instantly go into her talking to herself or like singing to herself about how it was her fault that he hit her. And then I was just like, no, stop perpetuating these (laughs) ideologies that it's a woman's fault when they get hit or that it's anyone's fault when they get hit. Can we just stop victim blaming? Like, there's a perpetrator. Blame them. It's their fault. What a concept. You mean I shouldn't blame the victim of some horrible thing? What? What I did also, like, wonder about while I was watching it is, like, slowly as it goes on, like, Life is a Cabaret, or, no, that's not the one it opens with, but it opens with whatever song. They talk about how it's free and you can be whatever you want in Berlin and blah, 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 blah. And, like, steadily as the Nazis rise to power, it's not just... We tend to think of the Holocaust as being solely perpetrated on the Jews, but it wasn't. It was the academics. It was the homosexuals. It was any queer person. It was anyone that was non-white and non-typical. Anyone atypical. And I thought it was really interesting because the way they depicted that was by the MC. If you notice, every time he was on stage, put on more clothing. Um, so that by the end, he's wearing a trench coat and completely covered. Whereas at the beginning, he's in like these tiny shorts and his nips are out. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes, no, that's absolutely a great catch. He does do that. And it, it is because Berlin is changing. And it's just a way to depict like... How, you know, things that were once okay are no longer viewed as okay. And also, I think that we fall into that trap as Americans just to bring it right back to politics. <laughs> because we went from the age of, like, pride and intense pride under Obama and yay, gay marriage and everything's been legalized and you're free to be who you are. And then all of a sudden under Trump, it's like, okay, but if I don't go out presenting a certain way, police are not going to help me when a hate crime is perpetrated against me in the area I'm in. Absolutely. I cannot be who I am anymore. There are countless black trans women who are being murdered every day and people do not care. And it's so sad. It's so tragic. And the the whole bathroom stuff really bothers me because what you're really saying there is men assault women. But instead of saying that, you're going to say, we can't allow trans women in the bathrooms. My God. Oh, I've got to clutch my pearls extra hard. And it's like, no, handle the fact that men sexually assault women more often than women sexually assault men, even though they do do it. Sexual assault is a huge problem. And actually handle that problem. Because you know who they're also assaulting and murdering? It's trans women that are in that bathroom. It is more dangerous for a trans woman to go into a male bathroom presenting as female than it is for a woman to be in the bathroom with a fellow trans woman oftentimes you can't even tell until they take their pants off and why do you want to take somebody's pants off if you don't know them why do you care what's in their pants exactly you should not be peeking through the cracks in the stalls it's none of your business Well, first of all, we shouldn't have the cracks in the stalls. America, get on that. Europe doesn't have them, and I like it much better with actual doors. (laughs) Valid. Valid. Too true. The other thing I took issue with, um, that I'm just wondering if there's anything in Hollywood that doesn't have it, is the fat phobia. 
Because at the beginning, they're literally, like, hating on some woman for being, like, a size four instead of a double zero and calling her fat and I'm and telling her she needs to lose weight. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Why? What? Yeah, I, I don't know that there... I mean, there, I mean, there is one musical that comes to mind that doesn't have the fat shaming. And maybe we'll watch it, but... I'll see if I can find others. Like, it's just, it's not funny. It's never funny. No. So why use it? It's never funny. It's always hurtful. Yeah, I I don't... Yeah. I don't like it. And then I thought... One thing I really didn't like about Sally and the abortion stuff in general was how they portrayed it. And it was not as though it was a tough process for her that she was having to grieve they portrayed her as like this crazy party girl who gets pregnant every other week and she even says herself i've had thousands of abortion and i literally wrote she seems like a figment of a conservative's dream they wish women like this existed when in reality her excessive partying was probably a result of the ptsd she had from all the abortions she'd had to have because there's no birth control i don't think you're wrong um, absolutely. I don't think, I think the Sally that we see in this version is, it's, the Sally that's played in this version is very different from the Liza Minnelli portrayal of Sally, but I think this version is more true to the original intent of the musical, in that she comes across really annoying in the beginning, like this party girl, like, super in your face, but by the end, she's not quite at that level, she does tone it down a little bit. And I think that's because that that first part in the beginning is an act that she puts on kind of for the world because that's how she has to be as a woman in that zone. Like, that is the portrayal she has to do. I don't know how much of that is written intent, how much of that was actor's choice, director's choice, but that's how I interpreted that. Yeah, I interpreted it the same way, too. It was just sad to me that they... I don't think they... Yes, by the end she was better, but I don't think they ever truly humanized her in the same way they did Cliff and Schneider and Schultz and everybody. Even the MC at the end, whenever he's in the striped pajamas. I don't think... And also, if you note, he has a yellow star, but he also has two other ones, and those two other ones stood for the fact that he was gay and a prisoner of war. So that also speaks to the fact that, like, it was not just Jews. Honestly, the group that suffered the most deaths at the hands of the German were the Polish, Jewish or not. They ransacked that country. Um, it was also me and Shelby's first country we visited in Europe. <laughs> that was a fun time. I love Poland. It's gorgeous out there. It was amazing. The food is beyond. Incredible. In absolutely incredible food. I see why the Germans were jealous and wanted to kill them. Let's just put it that way. They knew if Poland ever got popular, it was game over for the rest of Europe. <laughs> it's game over. Why go anywhere else if you go to Poland? It was also snowing in May, and we were packed for Italy, so like it was an extra fun trip. <laughs> but Poland's cold, y'all. Poland is cold. <laughs> it's, it's more north than I thought it was. Yeah, like, I didn't realize that Italy, which is, like, the southernmost part of Europe, is level with, like, New York City. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the UK is up there with, like, Siberia or whatever northern Canada is called. I can't think. Of. I can only think of northern Russia. Um, but, yeah, it is cold. <laughs> I had some interesting final thoughts about this movie. What were yours? I mean, I'm... 
I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed how political it is. I am sad that they cut out some of the best songs from this version, and that they did censor a lot of the more risque material of this musical. There was a lot of censoring in this version that we watched. Um, I was really upset because I never saw the money makes the world go round, or the maybe this time. Yeah. I can't sing, so y'all enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't hear the songs I knew. I didn't even get to see the monologue I expected to see. So everything that was in Schitt's Creek is what was left out of this version. If you would like to go watch both, it'll give you a real complete idea of what's going on. Or you can go watch the original 1970s uh, movie starring the wonderful, iconic Liza Minnelli. Oh, pish posh. You could do that, but... You could also just watch season five of Schitt's Creek, <laughs> which honestly will make you feel better about the world rather than worse, which is what Cabaret did to me, because I was just like, oh, <laughs> we really are repeating history. Like we talk about it all the time, but watching it, you're just like, oh, <laughs> this makes me sad for the future. Yeah. Like we need to reverse things now. Absolutely. Now. Go out and vote, y'all. Go out and vote. Make sure you're registered. Yeah, make sure you're registered. Um, Most states have opened their mail-in ballots. And from what I've seen from political science professors, um, they're not going to be counted by election night because there's going to be so many mail-in ballots. And they're predicting that if Trump is ahead in the actual voter turnout vote, that he will insist on the mail-in ballots not being counted, which is not past him. So whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, make sure your vote gets counted. Go out there and make sure your vote gets counted. I don't want to advise that you, you know, ignore the risks of COVID and go vote in person, but I'm going to. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to wear some gloves. Bring some hand sanitizer. You know, just douse myself in hand sanitizer. Yeah. But if you are going to do a mail-in ballot, go ahead and request it now um, to make sure that you get it in time to send it back and follow up. Call. Make sure your vote gets counted. Call your representatives. Do what you can. Um, Because this election is a turning point in American history. I truly think that. It absolutely is. What's hysterical about this (laughs) hysteria around mail-in ballots is that Oregon's been voting by mail for years. Like, that's just how it's done out here. You get your ballot in the mail, you vote, you send it back. Now, we only have three electoral college votes, so we're by no means like a super important state to candidates in campaigns, but it's safely done here and conservatives are even for it here. We don't have any in-person voting under normal conditions. Yeah. And also, if you trust the um, U.S. Postal Service to send you your packages, if you trust them to handle your pay stubs, your W-2s, he he literally used the Postal Service at the beginning of the year because he wanted to personally sign all those stimulus checks and people got them. The Postal Service is very trustworthy. You can mail in ballot and be fine. You know what? Postal Service is still delivering mail on level two evacuation zones. So, like, they are not screwing around, y'all. They are going to get you that important mail. And also, we just need to save the post office. So, like, send some local mail. It's the best thing you can do for your post office. They are the only federal agency that is required to have 60 years worth of retirement payments, pension payments, saved up currently. And that is the only reason 
they are failing. Without that, they would have turned a profit the last five to six years. And before that, there was a recession. So, like... And let's not forget who introduced that bill. Republicans. Yeah. So, things are actively being done to sabotage your vote. Don't let that happen to you. Please do not vote twice. Please do not fall for the BS. But please do go vote. Um, I don't care how you vote. If Trump genuinely gets elected with a majority, there's nothing we can say. Um, But he didn't do it the first time, so who's to say he'll do it the second? Anywho... Alrighty, (laughs) this has been Bravo to Broadway. Thank you for listening. We're sorry we got so political, but if you enjoyed our rants, please give us a like and follow. We are at Bravo to Broadway on most social media sites, if not all. I think all. (laughs) Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything, at Bravo to Broadway. And if you too need to rant, please comment or shoot us an email at bravo to broadway at gmail.com and we'll be happy to address anything you say next time.